Hi, welcome to Assurity's Good Business Podcast. I'm Matt. In this show, we're talking to the leaders who are successfully making business better for the world, from eco-friendly changemakers to companies that give back to their people and communities in a big way. I'm excited to bring you this episode. Today's guest is arguably one of the foremost experts on the B Corporation movement and how responsible business is changing the world. Dr. Christopher Marquis is the Samuel C. Johnson Professor of Sustainable Global Enterprise at Cornell University and the author of a book titled Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism, which came out in September of 2020. Chris worked and taught at Harvard Business School for 10 years, where he developed an award-winning course on social entrepreneurship, and over the last decade, he's studied how the B Corporation movement has evolved and spread across the world. I was lucky enough to get Chris on the show to talk about his work and research, and what we can learn from the B Corp movement. If you want to learn about how B Corps work and what the movement is about, I'd recommend listening to episode 2 of our podcast with Becca Quirk. Let's start from the beginning. Chris found his way to the B Corp movement and this area of study in an unexpected place, the classroom where he was teaching. You know, I've always had an interest in businesses doing good, sort of, you know, socially responsible businesses, environmentally responsible businesses. And I was teaching on that for a long time, but it was mainly things like large companies, CSR programs. Uh, And one day in class, a student said to me, you know, what about companies that have social missions embedded? And actually the whole purpose of the company is actually helping with some social issue or social problem or environmental issue. Uh, and that really sort of turned me on to this idea that actually businesses at their core could be uh, doing good. And through you know a number of years, then teaching, uh, broadly speaking, still on CSR, you know, students through their student projects, through bringing up B Corps and the idea of B Corps, you know, really got me on the path of, of studying these businesses that, that really are focused on good. From there, Chris went on to study the B movement as a whole, as well as digging into the specifics of certain large B Corps, building up the expertise that's led him to this point and watching the movement grow worldwide. Well, first of all, you know, I did uh, sort of my first foray into studying social businesses. I actually did a case study on B Lab to really understand, you know, the system, both, uh, you know, sort of the B impact assessment. Uh, what was very new then was actually uh, benefit corporation law. Actually, you know, soon after or soon before I published the the case study, they the first benefit corporation law was passed in Maryland, and then. Vermont, and also the work that B-Lab has been doing with investors around sort of tools to sort of monitor and track uh, the social impact of investments. And so so I think a, a set of cases I've done have been on B-Lab, actually. So the, in 2010, that first one was published. Also in 2015, I published an update of that. And then that, then that actually sort of naturally flowed into the book that I published in 2020. Uh, on the actual B Corporation side and sort of social business side, you know, there's been a lot. Uh, I guess some of the key ones I think that that I've done that are very important uh, is uh, large companies. So I looked at how Danone North America, uh, this is a $6 billion company, uh, largest B Corp in the world, largest benefit corp in the world, how it actually transitioned into a B Corp, the challenges with you know, doing an assessment when the company has five or six legal subsidiaries, 
so I, so I think the, you know, how large companies are able to take this on is definitely an area of interest and focus of mine through my writing. I also did a, recently a Stanford Social Innovation Review article on this. A second area that I think is really interesting and important is uh, non-U.S. companies. You know, when I first got started studying B-Lab and B-Corporations, it was an entirely U.S.-focused uh, movement. And how it has spread over, you know, the past, I guess, maybe seven, eight years, first to Latin America, then to Europe and the UK, and now, you know, everywhere. I mean, you know, Africa, China. Uh, I did actually a, a formal ca whole case study on the first B Corp in China, sort of the challenges from, you know, translating the BIA to, you know, things like, you know, ideas of what living wages are or, or certification of build lead buildings don't exist really. So, so the challenge of taking the B Corp assessment internationally uh, has been a second area that I've looked at in depth. I was able to read Chris's book before the interview. To get you up to speed, here's the premise in his own words. You know, the core argument of the book is that, you know, capitalism, it particularly as it's practiced in the, in the U.S., but also more, more broadly around the world, and particularly for larger companies, you know, is fundamentally broken. You know, a J. Cohn Gilbert, who's one of the founders of B-Lab, frequently refers to it as, a, as like a, a system flaw, uh, uh, you know, and, and what it is is that, that, that we've developed a system of shareholder primacy. People think this is natural, that sort of the shareholders, the owners of the co of companies should actually come first. This is actually a historical aberration uh, started about 50 years ago by Milton Friedman with an influential essay in the New York Times Magazine, where he argued, I think the title of the piece was, you know, the corporate social responsibility of companies is to make profit. And that really, as long as companies were focused on profit, you know, everything um, would work out. And that actually really created a lot of serious problems. So one, you mentioned this idea of externalities in your question. So the idea of, you know, when a company is contemplating, you know, installing a new, uh, a new factory, you know, the idea of like who pays for the pollution that comes from that, you know, the health consequences that, that for the local communities, global warming that affects all of us, you know, really don't get factored into the cost. Uh, whereas in, in when companies are so focused on shareholders and, and quarterly earnings, things like that, you know, get sort of pushed to the side. Uh, so this, you know, the idea that companies should actually be caring for their stakeholders and actually prioritizing stakeholders other than shareholders has really caught on in the past number of years. You know, many influential, large investors, uh, corporate groups like the Business Roundtable, it's this group of, of 200 largest company CEOs in the United States. They came out with a statement in late 2019 saying that, uh, you know, the purpose of a company uh, is not to just primarily meet shareholder needs, which is what, what which actually their statement of purpose of the company was before, but to meet stakeholder needs, they said. So things like employees, communities, uh, uh, the environment. And this is what I mean by sort of interdependent is that companies, you know, recognize uh, and take responsibility for their uh, stakeholders. Out of all the things that Chris has seen while studying social business, one of the most surprising features of these organizations is their resilience. Something that's been highlighted even more in the pandemic that we're experiencing as this episode was recorded. 
Before Cornell, I taught for 10 years at Harvard Business School, you know, and I taught there through the 2008 um, uh, financial crisis. And, and I just actually started my class on social responsibility and social innovation in, I think, 2007. And, you know, many of my colleagues uh, said, oh, it's too bad you spent all that time starting that class because, you know, now with the financial crisis, no one's going <laughs> to, no one's going to be interested. Companies aren't going to, you know, companies aren't going to care about this. And actually I find the opposite that, and I think similar to how some companies have stepped up in the pandemic, that actually when there is a widespread, you know, social, economic, you know, health, you know, public health crisis like the pandemic, you know, leading companies see that as a time that they can actually, you know, live their values and actually, you know, and show to their employees and stakeholders what it actually means to be a stakeholder driven company. So I, you know, I do think there is, you know, early on uh, a lot more skepticism. I think people started to come around and I think, you know, investors, lawmakers are, are really starting to take interest. Another theme that's found throughout Chris's book, and one he just touched on, is the remarkable success that B Corps have seen in the legal and investment spheres, areas that were, for a long time, seen as uphill battles for the movement. I asked him about some of the investor and legal victories that he's seen as he watched the movement evolve. Yeah, I think um, a, cu- a couple things. I mean, I think that that you know the investor thing is really important to you know emphasize uh, because this is really a, a new phenomenon. You know, I'm thinking back to the early times when I taught the B Lab uh, case study to my students. You know, 2010, 11, 12. You know, the idea that investors would be enthusiastically embracing social mission, social impact companies, you know, would would be sort of laughed at. I mean, it was it was okay and would work well for. You know, companies like uh, like Patagonia that's owned by like four people in the same family uh, so they can do whatever they want. Or, you know, sometimes when companies are like that, like Ben and Jerry's, you know, they end up selling out to, you know, a company like Unilever, which, you know, Unilever is doing a great job with Ben and Jerry's now. But initially there, there were some issues. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so I think that there was always very early an idea that that that, you know, th- these companies were really limited because they, they were limited in the investors that they can get. And just, you know, just this summer, there's been so many uh, things that have happened that show that, that that sort of assumption that people have had for a very long time is wrong. So uh, three companies in the past number of months have gone public, B Corporations and B Corporations Benefit Corporations. Uh, these would be Lemonade, Online Insure, uh, Vital Harvest, which is a uh, uh, sort of a pasture-raised egg and dairy company, uh, and then also App Harvest, uh, which does indoor farming at massive scale, has Martha Stewart uh, on the board. And I think that that's you know, really showing, okay, here are the public markets uh, are actually really enthusiastic about companies with uh, social mission. And this has been, you know, when I first started out studying this, you know, there was this group of impact investors, people that were thought of as sort of a little bit you know, a little crazy, they would actually, you know, sort of care about companies' social mission as well as financial mission. And, uh, and, and always, again, the thinking that it was a very limited pool. But, but, you know, the companies that I mentioned just on public, I mean, these companies now, B Corps, all the leading uh, venture capital companies from Kleiner Perkins to Andreessen Horowitz to uh, Google Ventures, Goldman Sachs Ventures, all are investing in B Corps because, you know, they see that actually companies that are managed for the long term 
actually are really good investments. And, you know, just also this summer, another few sort of major um, events that have happened are companies taking votes. These are companies that are already public and they want to transition to stakeholder governance. So changing their underlying articles of incorporation, sort of the legal foundation and charter of the company uh, to say, we're not, we're not shareholder primacy focused. We are in business to deliver value to all of our stakeholders. And so, you know, Danone uh, did this, a French company and also amalgamated bank, a, um, a bank here in New York city where I'm, where I, uh, where I live. Uh, but I think what is actually even more revolutionary, and this actually just came out yesterday, a company named Viva Systems, uh, they, the SEC approved their proxy statement, uh, and on January 14th, they're going to be taking a, a vote of their shareholders to transition from a regular C-Corp into a public benefit corporation. And this will be, you know, uh, Danone and Amalgamated Bank, you know, they took votes to change their underlying articles of corporation, but it was not to become a public benefit corporation. Uh, but this will, so be, this will be the first time in history that a company has, has through shareholder vote, uh, take, you know, changed into a public benefit corporation. I think it's just as actually revolutionary in that, you know, this is the, the, the uptake by investors, uh, I think just shows that this is a a movement that is really, uh, very scalable right now. What's remarkable looking at every part of the movement from the concept itself to some of the creative legal and investment strategies that businesses have employed is its ingenuity. Yeah, I think this is something that is uh, not super recognized in the public, but I, but I think, you know, I'm actually thinking about doing a, another, a book on this, actually, about how B Corps and social businesses, you know, in general, are some of the most innovative and creative companies in the world. And the reason being is that, you know, you have these, you know, multiple objectives that they're trying to to achieve both sort of financial and social objectives and so you know for a long time uh you know businesses did business social objectives were focused on by ngos or government so the bringing together of this sort of business and society you know it's not natural and so it really takes a lot of you know sort of creativity and thought for how to actually go about uh, doing it. So, you know, one, one example uh, that I frequently give is open hiring innovations uh, that, that were created by Grayston Bakery. Uh, so, you know, the founder of Grayston Bakery, he really wanted to create an inclusive and fair uh, workforce. So, you know, he had this idea, well, well, let's just hire, like, I mean, people that show up, you know, it's sort of, it's like you put, you show up, you put your name in your list, you know, there's, so there's not all this, you know, background checks, which screen out a lot of people very unfairly because of, uh, of maybe, you know, having gone to, to prison or other uh, things that, that, you know, don't really affect the way they can work, but actually, you know, leads to, to some negative bias against them, to people are biased, um, you know, as is well known for sort of race and, and other uh, characteristics. So this idea of open hiring, where, you know, there's not actually this intensive screening process, you know, it sounds counterintuitive because, but it actually has worked really, really well and created a much more sort of fair, open and productive, uh, workforce. I think a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of innovation also around environmental products. So I think about companies like preserve, uh, which, you know, the founder, Eric Hudson, you know, he really wanted to take recycled 
uh, plastic and turn it into actually really useful products and initially did razors and toothbrushes now does a whole bunch of things but you know actually you know it's interesting you know we all recycle a lot you know every, you know i'm sure probably all your listeners are recycling like crazy i know i do it but actually the extent to which the plastic uh actually gets turned in you know actually recycled and then actually turned in, into products is is surprisingly low and so you know Eric, it was even worse in the 1990s when Eric started his business, but, you know, he's gone and, and continue to push the envelope, uh, now has, they have products, I think it's called Poppy, like preserve ocean plastic initiative, where they specifically focus on plastics that are in the ocean or about to sort of get swept into the ocean. You know, we have this huge, uh, Pacific plastic patch, uh, and then taking those plastics specifically and turning it into, into useful products. So I think, you know, the idea that, okay, let's solve this social problem through this unique business arrangement, you know, is not how things have worked in the past. And so, so there's a tremendous amount of creativity and innovation that actually occurs through these entrepreneurs. Another area where B corporations have found creative solutions to legal and institutional issues is by adapting their very frameworks to better solve problems. For instance, there's been a rise in groups opting to become B corporations instead of nonprofit 501c3s. While this isn't the solution in every case, Chris has watched this approach gain success in certain situations. You know, there are problems in the world that are, you know, can't be solved by some sort of business model, and there obviously is always going to be need for NGOs and the government. But there are certain problems that actually perhaps some commercial engine behind it makes a lot more sense. So, you know, one of the companies that I, uh, B Corps that I talked to, it's actually Cor Cornell grad. So I want to give uh, a plug for Cornell, uh, founded it, a, a company called Practice Makes Perfect. And they uh, provide sort of learning solutions for, for schools. Uh, and and they, they realized that actually they're spending so much money, like raising funds, uh, uh, that actually they weren't spending enough time sort of focusing on developing curriculum. And they realized, well, actually we could, this, this is actually products that we could sell. And then, you know, we could grow our business, scale it to more schools, uh, and not have to worry about spending all of our time on fundraising, which we would have to do as an NGO. Uh, so that's sort of an example of where I think, you know, thinking about, you know, the problem or the social issue that, that an entrepreneur wants to address and what is the best model to actually get that done in a sustainable and long-term and scalable way, you know, and sometimes, yeah, it might be through policy in the government. Sometimes it might be through, uh, you know, NGO and raising funds, um, and giving them away in some ways or creating, you know, services that can't be paid for by a commercial arrangement. Sometimes it's actually um, creating a business around it. And so I think that this has been a huge uh, change in the last 20 years where, you know, entrepreneurs, they're able to sort of identify their problem and then have a range of different potential uh, solutions to address it. And it isn't just local. As we've mentioned before, the B movement is growing globally. In many cases, it's growing faster around the world than it is here in the United States. This is something that Chris has seen firsthand. You know, it's it's sort of it's really amazing to me, sort of having having watched this movement grow, how it's been, how it's just taken off in so many areas of the world. Uh, and you know, so I'm someone who you know I've spent a lot of time in um, in Asia, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and there is a resistance generally to. American 
products and American things. Um, you know, America is very popular. We have great cultural products and, uh, you know, uh, but there is, there is, it's, it's in some cases, a resistance, but I, you know, it's really surprised me how this has really been taken on by entrepreneurs. I mean, they see this as a model that is tremendously useful that can then, you know, actually help their own, um, their own sort of business uh, infrastructure. So one of the things more recently uh, on the global side that has really impressed me is how in Europe and Latin America, large companies have taken to the B Corp movement like uh, they have not in the US. Uh, so for instance, you know, B Lab recently introduced a program called B Movement Builders, which, you know, I sort of think about, about it as sort of a slower on-ramp to becoming a B Corp. You know, if you think about the complexity challenge of going through the B impact assessment. I mean, it's, it's, you know, super rigorous, uh, as, as it should be, but it also is a, it's very daunting for many organizations. And you think about, you know, if you end up having a company that has, you know, scores of legal subsidiaries, uh, uh, you know, in 20, 30 more countries, I mean, it actually becomes virtually I mean, it's mind boggling or in virtually possible, like, where do I start? So this actually provides uh, sort of a pathway for companies to, you know, start with subsidiaries or part of their business using the BIA and then progressively over time, increase the scope of that. Uh, it also actually, uh, at least initially, it has a cohort feature to it. So, you know, in this initial launch, there are six companies that ha have signed up. So Danone, uh, you know, w w which we've, we've talked a little bit about already, uh, while, the, while the North American subsidiary and about 25 other Danone subsidiaries are already B Corps, the global organization, which is a $30 billion company, has committed to becoming a B Corp by 2025. Uh, Natura, which is a South American uh, in Brazil uh, natural cosmetics company, uh, owns the body shop and Avon, uh, is part of this as well. Uh, and then four other com com companies, you know, two in Europe and two other ones in Brazil. And, you know, I think it's really exciting that actually, uh, you know, we have these six companies, but I, it's a shame that actually there's no U S companies. Uh, and I think maybe it might point to actually that, you know, you think about as the B, B Corp movement scales over the next 10 to 15 years, you know, as these large companies come on, it does seem that, you know, some of the center of weight of the movement is going to be shifting to, you know, Europe or Latin America. I think part of it is that, you know, those two places have a much more sort of longer term sort of regenerative capitalism idea. Uh, and, you know, business is much more involved in, in social, um, you know, social policy you know, the government and, and business work together in a much more uh, close way. So uh, some of them are family owned businesses as well, which actually all, all also have a longer term orientation. So I think that this, uh, you know, B Corp uh, movement internationally, you know, is only going to continue scaling. And actually, you know, given the interest of large companies in the B Corp movement in Europe and Latin America, it makes me think that, you know, the next phase is going to be more focused outside the U.S. than inside of it. Of course, it isn't all roses in the B Corp movement. There are still challenges that the movement and that individual businesses face every day. I asked Chris what he thought the biggest challenges were. I think the, the biggest thing um, is consumer awareness and support. You know, I think it's, um, you know, one of these things that 
I, I, I'm optimistic about it, but you know, for a long time, you know, no one knew what a B Corp was. Uh, there were pockets of people that did. Like when I go into my classes, you know, one of the first things I, I asked during one of the classes before we talk about B Corps is, you know, who know, who's heard of B Corps? And, you know, you know, over half the students raise their hands and, you know, probably the people that we hang out with because we talk about it, you know, 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 know what B Corps are. Uh, but I think that when I was doing the research for the book, this was what a lot of people brought up as something that was getting a little frustrating. Some of them expressed that, you know, they felt like they were investing. In the, these these are companies. They these companies were investing in the movement and the brand, and they felt that, you know, um, they they wanted actually the brand to mean something more to cons to consumers, both, you know, for the for their for their own companies, but then also. You know, there is all this data and surveys you see where where individuals are really, you know, they want to actually buy from good companies, but it's hard to identify what those good companies are. So also, you know, having this logo that identifies this is a company that has been certified for its environmental social impact uh, is useful for for the world. And so I, it's hard to get traction, I think, on this because it's 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 a complex thing. It's not like you know, organic or fair trade, where it's very specific to like a specific, you know, product, uh, or, uh, or, you know, um, or, or, or some sort of offering. Uh, so, you know, it's about the entire company and the company's, um, you know, wide ranging set of, uh, set of objectives. So, so I, th I think, I think it's a little more complex for people to sort of wrap their heads around, but, but it has been increasing. And I think that also with, large companies like Danone and others, you know, starting to put the logo on all their products, this also will increase uh, consumer awareness. So I, I see that, you know, the consumer awareness piece is the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdle in some way or the biggest challenge. And, and mm -hmm. I, like I said, I'm optimistic about it because uh, so many, uh, you know, so many, uh, you know, really innovative B Corps are also working on it. And as far as getting the word out, it's happening, but it's gradual. Here's the advice Chris had for how to spread the news. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, doing these things like you guys are doing, I mean, you have this, this podcast, I think, uh, you know, having a, events, uh, you know, that one of the things that really impressed me is, is a lot of times there would be events like various entrepreneurship fairs, um, or other, you know, um, uh, things when, when school is starting off and many B Corps would actually, you know, in the, in those localities, university localities actually go and have something on B Corps. Uh, and that's, you know, an example, I think that, you know, all B Corps should be putting the B Corp logo on their products. Uh, you know, this is something that has changed over time. A lot of companies early on did not, were not putting the logo on their products. And, you know, some of the early adopters, like, you know, Patagonia, Ben and Jerry, I think it took a while, but, but more recently they've been doing that. So I think that, uh, yeah, just trying to promote the, uh, promote the movement through, you know, through sort of creative and smart ways, like, yeah, like I mentioned, different sort of college fairs or, or having a podcast or, uh, is one way, but then also just putting uh, the logo on packaging is another way. Well, we'll keep doing what we can to publicize the B movement. And you can help, too, by sharing this podcast, telling your friends, or keeping an eye out for the B Corp logo on products you buy. At the end of our episodes, we like to thank our guests by making a $100 donation to the charitable organization of their choice. Here's what Chris picked. 
there's a charity that my family's been involved with for a long time. It's called the Latin American Children's Fund. Uh, and it's a hundred percent volunteer, um, uh, run charity. So all the money actually goes to, it's a, it's a variety of, you know, kids oriented things, uh, in mostly in El Salvador and, and I think Guatemala as well. Uh, so I think that's, that's the one that, that I'll, that I'll choose. Cause I know the money will go to a good place. You can learn more about the Latin American children's fund at their website, lacfund.wordpress.com. We'd like to thank Chris for coming on the show once again and sharing some of his vast knowledge. There's a lot more where that came from, so if you're interested in Chris's work, you can visit him at his website, chrismarquis.com. That's Chris, M-A-R-Q-U-I-S dot com. Or you can buy his book online or at your local bookstore. The title again is Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. And if you're interested in the B Corp Movement at all, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks for listening to Assurity's Good Business Podcast. Assurity's Good Business is a production of Assurity Life Insurance Company of Lincoln, Nebraska. If you have any questions or comments, or if you want to submit an episode topic or guest for us to interview, you can visit us online at www.assurity.com goodbusiness, or send us a note at goodbusiness at assurity.com. And if you like what you hear, subscribe and listen to the rest of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Join us again next time for more stories about how businesses are changing the world. After all, it's good business. Assurity is a marketing name for the mutual holding company, Assurity Group Incorporated, and its subsidiaries. Those subsidiaries include, but are not limited to, Assurity Life Insurance Company and Assurity Life Insurance Company of New York. Assurity.